Turn, if you will, to 2 Corinthians. I want to talk about the miracle of ministry today. The miracle of ministry. We begin at verse, let me pick up 2.16, then we'll go to 3.1. Speaking that he's in the triumph of Christ and that he's nothing more than an incense carrier praising the victories of his conquering general, Christ. And he says, even as I'm doing this, the incense smells like death to some and to others an aroma that brings life. And who is equal or sufficient or competent for such a task? He goes to chapter 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? This is a, he's moving from a conquering Christ now to once again defending himself against the critics. And the critics are saying, you do not have the credentials of an authentic apostle. And they're saying, where are your papers from Jerusalem that says you were sent out? by James and John and Peter. He says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. In defending himself, we pick up a principle that ministry is a divine work of God. Human effort alone is inadequate to accomplish God's work. Only by divine enablement does any ministry get accomplished. For Jesus said, for without me, you can do some things. What did it say? You can do zero. And he likened that in that passage to the branch tied to the vine unless the life of the vine is going through the branch. It's only fit to be burned up. It can produce nothing. The illustration is so powerful. Unless you remain in contact with me, there will be nothing good produced through you. 
In biblical terms, I want you to get this. In biblical terms, excellence is not the elimination of human inadequacy. In human terms, in biblical terms, excellence is not the elimination of human inadequacy, but the divine empowerment of inadequate people. It's not the elimination. You will never eliminate the innate human inadequacies you have for accomplishing the work of God. But God says your inadequacy will be his opportunity to furnish you power and adequacy you could never have otherwise. So the adequacy will come from him, while at the same time you are claiming inadequacy, God is saying, I am sufficient to use even you. Now, is it possible for God to use you? Do your inadequacies make you withdraw from God and make yourself unavailable for God in the name of splendid spiritual excuse-making? Or have you ever made yourself available to this God to pour his resources in and through you? and perform the miracle of ministry, how could God be getting his work done through somebody such as you? It's the miracle of ministry. He does two things. He, first of all, tells them the effects of a ministry born up by God, the effects. Two, he tells them the source of his adequacy, where it comes from. And number three, what I'd like to land with you is God's promise to be adequate to use you, not just an apostle. Let's take, first of all, the effects. Paul has been talking about, I'm in the triumph of Christ. We're victorious through Christ. And then in this letter, every once in a while, he'll be on an argument, then he steps aside to, as it were, deal with the critics. And so here they are saying, oh, oh, by the way, when you came to Corinth, we didn't see your credentials. Uh, we didn't see a letter from Peter. We didn't see a letter from the, the elders in Jerusalem saying you were their man, their apostle. Where, where is your resume? Where are the credentials? Who recommended you anyway? And he said, uh, let me tell you what my credentials are. I happen to come among a bunch of pagan idol worshipers. I came to the sex capital of the ancient world where anything goes, a city corrupt all the way to its toenails in sin, a terrible place and I came and I preached to you, not Aristotle, Plato, or Socrates. I preached the foolishness of the cross, and God saved you. 
You came to Christ, and in this process, God wrote you on my heart, and in the process, he stooped down, and he used for his stationary your heart, and the hand of omnipotence wrote, and he turned you into his stationary. God loves you. God is going to save you. You were homosexual. You were effeminate. You were thieves. You were robbers. You were fornicators. But now you've been washed. Now you've been cleansed. Now you've been made mine. Now I'm no longer an idolater. In a moment, God wrote on your heart what he told Jeremiah. Someday, I won't give my people external commands. I will give them an internal change of heart. I'll give them a new heart. And so he went to the heart, to the core of their being, and he inscribed his love, and he says to them, why, you're my letter of recommendation. What were you before I came to town? And imagine, I was a regular customer at the brothel. I was a regular profligate. I was a regular drunk. I was a regular womanizer. I was untrue to marriage, untrue to kids. But when this gospel came, I was changed, transformed. I'm a changed person. Paul said, look around. There's my letters of recommendation. The greatest recommendation of your ministry on any level, I don't care if it's junior church, if it's encouraging, is change lives. People changed. People encouraged by you. People influenced by you. And so he says, he wants to settle the record. I don't need any external fabricated false documents. You're the letter. You. You're God's expensive stationery. You know what God did? When you, when you have stationery, you've got to do something. First of all, you've got to buy the field where the trees are growing. Two, you've got to cut the trees down. Three, you've got to pulverize them and turn it into paper pulp. And then you've got to put it through the rollers, the steamers, and the heat. And by the time you get through, you can go down, and for a dollar, you could buy 50 sheets of paper to write your message on. What God did, he sent the Lord Jesus Christ to buy the world, and he bought the forest. And he had to cut you down from your pride, had to pulverize you and bring you to the foot of the cross that he might turn you into his writing paper. We are expensive writing paper of which the hand of omnipotence has written inside my heart. And it's written inside your heart if you know Christ. God didn't write many, many tickle you farce. That he wrote for Belshazzar. Judgment's coming. He wrote down here, you're forgiven. You're mine. I've loved you forever. I loved you at the cross. There, there's my credentials. Then he goes on. He said, let me tell you, I am very confident. But since that sounds so cocky, and it sounds so arrogant in verse 4. I am confident, but where is your confidence, Paul? Are you a self-made cocky preacher? Listen to what he says. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. 
Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our confidence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. The source of my competence comes from God. That This word here, competence, sufficiency, adequacy, is translated those three different ways. It, it has the idea fit to do the task assigned, sufficient to do what I'm being asked to do. That's, that's all it means. And he's saying, if God gave us tasks to do without giving us the ability to do it, it would be like him asking us to fly without giving us wings. In other words, he's mocking our ineptitude. He's mocking our incompetence. Instead, he said, I'm assigning you something I know by yourself would be impossible. But you've got to know you can count on omnipotence to give you the power to do it. God's command to do is God's promise to enable. If he commands you to do it, you don't know. He's promising the power to do it. Now, let's uh, see the source of this power. Uh, I love what James Denny wrote about Paul's ministry in the gospel. I, I keep uh, these laminated copies of these words. I'm going to read. I keep them in my Bibles. James Denny said these words. None of you read James Denny. He wrote this in the 1800s. Expositor's Commentary, 2 Corinthians. No one who saw the exceeding greatness of the power which the gospel exercised, not only in sustaining its preachers under persecution, but in transforming human nature and making bad men good, no one who saw this and looked at a preacher like Paul could dream that the explanation lay in him. Not in an ugly little Jew, they called him ugly in 2 Corinthians, without eloquence, without presence, without the means to bribe or compel, could the source of such courage, the cause of such transformation be found. It must be sought not in him but in God. There have been men so clever that God could make no use of them. They could never do his work because they were so lost in admiration of their own work. But God's work never depended on them, and it does not depend on them now. It depends on those who, when they see Jesus Christ, become unconscious once and forever of all that they have used to call their own wisdom and their own strength. For the supreme law of the kingdom is still the glory of God and not the glory of the clever man. Why do you think God has chosen so many weak men? Weak even to the hearers and to themselves. He said, I don't share my glory with anybody. If I can use a stick in the hands of Moses, I can use you. 
Even a donkey can be used for God if it bears Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. And some of us, that's the only way we got in. Thank you. You got it, Catherine. They were slow on the uptake. Listen to the men God called. Moses, I'm sending you to deliver the children of Israel. And he automatically says, good, I'm your man. I've been trained in the courts of Pharaoh. Has anyone read the accounts? I think the argument goes back eight times. Exodus 4, he said, I'm not a man of eloquence. I'm not a man of speech. I'm of slow speech. Uh, please get my brother to be the spokesman, and I'll just uh, hit the rod wherever you tell me. And, and yet when Stephen's preaching in Acts 7, he said, Moses, a man mighty in word, eloquent. He probably was just denying all of his Egyptian training, all of his Egyptian speech. He was being trained to be the emperor. This is no dumb boy. It's no dumb man. This man is eloquent. This man is powerful in all the learning of Egypt. He just is freaking out. Uh, you deliver them, Lord, and don't use me to do it. I didn't ask for the job. And God said, no, I gave you the job. All great men in God's church that have led it have never sought to be the leader. Look at David. Who would ever think the greatest king of Israel would not even be considered by his father for the lineup? I mean, it is pitiful when all the boys are called out and, 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 and Samuel's not let, felt led to anoint any of them and that, that Samuel has to bring it up. Surely you've got another one. God sent me on a mission. I mean, he's got to tell Jesse, surely you've got some. And in essence, he's no better than the sheep he's taking care of. I don't value him. And old Samuel said, I know this, Jesse. I'm not leaving until I meet your youngest boy. About 14 years of age. He was so youthful, the text says he had ruddy complexion. He had a baby face. He had red cheeks. He hadn't had, had even got a beard yet. He could still see his cheeks. Surely God can't have a king and a 14-year-old boy. And David kind of wishes he's never anointed because he had to take javelin running courses after that. He's running for his life the rest, the next 16 years. 16 years from his anointing to being made the king, trying to outrun Saul from killing him. See, just because God anoints you and calls you doesn't mean you're not going to go through the mill. And he didn't go out and publish a card, next king. It was a secret he and Samuel kept. I think of when God called Jeremiah, he said, you, you, you can't be talking to me, Lord. I'm but a child. Jeremiah 1, verses 4 and 5. You've you got to get a grown-up man. I'm a kid. I'm a child. God said, no, I'm not mixed up, Jeremiah, on your age. You're the boy I want. You're my man. But, but I'm a child. He said, you will go where I send you. When he called Ezekiel, you know what Ezekiel did? Ezekiel prayed after he saw the chariot and the wheel in the side of a wheel and that heavenly dream in Ezekiel 1, chapter 2. He said, 
Lord, I'm scared to death of their faces. Surely their faces are like stone. My audience is a stone-faced audience. Please change the assignment. And then he said, I saw God send a scroll across heaven. And he said, take and eat. And he said, when I ate it, it burned like fire in my bones and tasted like honey in my mouth. And I went in the energy of the book I consumed. He hushed him up by giving him a book to eat. The reason some of you have no energy for God, you're not eating the book. You got to feed on his word. We don't need a bunch of babble and a bunch of bladder and just a bunch of empty, stupid opinions. We need somebody full of the thus saith the word of the Lord. That's what we need. We don't, you don't need to pass on ignorance. I wanted to go to Bible college. Someone, so many of them were telling me, don't go to Bible college. You'll lose the anointing. The main thing I was trying to lose was the ignorance. God doesn't anoint ignorance. Anoints his word. He anoints the truth. He doesn't anoint of stupidity. What will you do to quit being stupid about God's word? You see, if you're not understanding what you're reading in the Bible, you're really wasting your time reading it. You've got to slow down and find out. Somebody teach you to find out what it means. That's what changes you is when you find out what it means. Not reading three chapters a day, that won't change you. It's a waste of time. Don't waste your time until you want to slow down and keep a little journal and write down what did the paragraph say. If you don't do that, it's going to go through you like a sieve, and you won't keep any of it. You need a journal every day. Tell yourself where you read, tell them what time you showed up, put it down, and write down whatever you decide to read. Uh, write down what does it mean. What did it mean to the audience? What should it mean to me? You need to do that. I'm burdened by the fact God's people don't know what they're reading. They just don't. Well, we're getting off the subject here. People saying, I'm not adequate. Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Think of, think of Isaiah. The longest serving king of Israel for 52 years had just passed away. And I think Isaiah probably went to the temple in despondency. We've just lost our longest lasting ruler to leprosy. He got puffed up and turned into a leper. I'm going to go to the temple. I need, I need God. I need to worship. And when he goes there, he said, I looked up and I saw a vacant throne in Judah, but I didn't expect this. I saw another throne that was occupied. And on it, some bodyguards called seraphim. With two wings, they covered their eyes. With two, they were flying. With two, they covered their feet. And when I saw the vision of the Almighty God on the throne, he said, all of a sudden, I was overwhelmed with my undone condition. And in the Hebrew, he says, uh, when he said, woe is me, I'm undone. The word is I'm ruined. I'm ruined. It's curtains for me. I, I've come in contact. Why is it curtains? I'm a man of unclean lips, which stands for I've got an unclean life. I'm too dirty to be in the presence of a holy God. And all I could hear in my ears is kodesh, kodesh, kodesh. All these seraphims say in Hebrew is holy, 
holy, pure, holy, pure, separated, non-contaminated. And what am I doing here? I'm dirty, and he's holy. How can the two meet? And he said, all of a sudden, he commissioned one of these seraphim to go to the altar. What happens at the altar? Atonement. I want you to go and bring the fruit of the atonement, and I want you to atone for the filthiness in this man. That's why the cross, the cross covered up everything filthy about you to keep you from being used by God. He's paid a blood price to get your lips. And he came and he touched my lips. And it removed the filth of my mouth. And then of all things, omnipotence puts out a help wanted sign. I've got a task. I need to go tell Israel that she's going to get blind. I'm going to make her as blind as the idol she's serving. I'm going to make her hear and not hear. I'm going to make her see and not comprehend. And you know what, Isaiah? I don't have anyone to deliver this message. Who will go for me? He really said, who will go for us? And the cleansed prophet, overwhelmed by the majesty, simply said, I didn't feel able a few moments ago. All I could answer you is, here am I. Do with me whatever you want. Finished his career, and they got sick of his 66 chapters of prophecy. So a mob got angry, put him in a log, and sawed him in two. Went to heaven with his intestines cut in two and split the tree. And one of the greatest prophets went to glory by way of a saw. Here am I. Send me. I think of the kid preacher, Spurgeon, whom I love. He was a village preacher at 17. By the time he was 19, a historic famous pulpit that Van Gill used to be the pastor of had, was huge, had a thousand-seat auditorium. And they went out to the village to look up the kid preacher, 19 years old. Uh, Spurgeon missed out on a college education. He, uh, he went to meet the principal of a leading college when he was a boy. And the maid of the house got mixed up, put the principal at one end of the house, put Spurgeon at the other end. And so after an hour and a half, the principal said, where is he? He didn't show. So he went home. He lost his only chance to ever go to college. But when he was 50 years old, the 19-year-old boy turned 50. When they celebrated his 50th birthday at Metropolitan Tabernacle, that's now running five to 8,000 every Sunday, and you've got to have a ticket to get in. They can't house everybody, so they gave you tickets. You bartered to get in. They were so crowded. Uh, at that uh, event, he at that time was the head of 65 organizations, orphanages, Bible college, planted so many churches in London. He had a penny library that was published every Monday that was telegraphed to the United States and all over London. 
His wife, who became an invalid after the birth of their children, sent his books all over England free to all the poor preachers of England. And he preached five times a week. He said, I get dull just preaching to the same people, so I preach all during the week to stay fresh. Someone asked him, how in the world have you been able to do so much work? And he simply said, you forget there's two of us working. There's two of us working. Is God doing anything through you? Do you want God to do anything through you? If you can energize a 19-year-old kid preacher and make him the greatest voice in the English-speaking world, his books today, hear this, hear this, he's still the most read preacher in history to this day. You can buy his volumes, Puritan Press, uh, Texas, is where they sell it. It's $1,000 for the set. It's bigger than the Encyclopedia Britannica that a 19-year-old boy wrote. I couldn't find enough space to house all the books, so I've got it on an electronic disc, and any time I want a Spurgeon sermon, I run up and get it. How is this? If you ask him, say, your, your IQ is off the chart. You've got a photographic memory. He said, my sufficiency comes from the other person working. I'm enabled by God to do what I'm doing. I think of J. Hudson Taylor when he lived in Drainside and would deprive himself of food and give away all the money he could while he was doing medical training to get ready to go to the foreign field. And he and Moody both said, I'm going to recruit laymen. I'm sick and tired that you've got to be professional, professional, professional. God's church wasn't meant to be run by professionals. It's supposed to be run by people who said, I'm not adequate, but you are. I yield myself. Every person in the building becomes a minister instead of us always looking up here to see if ministry gets done. What gets done through you? You're the body of Christ. You've been gifted. If you'd quit lying to God and saying, I'm not adequate, he already knows that. He's adequate. He wants to channel his power like the Pacific Ocean. He wants to put through your small pipe. And he's just saying, would you please turn on the knob? I've got all the resource you'll ever need for a thousand years of living, and yet I see my people in unbelief saying, I can't, I can't, I can't. I think of, uh, listen to these promises of God. I wrote some promises. I don't have time to give them all to you, but you won't mind me quoting them, will you? Thank you, I am. Um, Listen to these verses. Uh, I will go in the strength of the Lord, Psalm 71, 16. I will go in the strength of my education. Know the Lord. Isaiah 30, 15, my wife's one of her favorite verses. In rest and reliance is your strength. Resting in me, relying on me will be your strength. Isaiah 40, 31, if you wait on me, I'll renew your strength. He said, I'm tired. I'm weary. Have you been waiting at the feet of him who never gets tired? 
Zechariah 4, 6. It goes this way in the Hebrew, really. It's not by human ingenuity, and it's not by human resources, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. I'm telling you, Zechariah, what I'm going to get done in rebuilding this temple and encourage my people doesn't come from human resources. It comes from the spirit of the living God. The spirit of the living God wants to take cowardly men who bailed out on Christ, get them in the upper room, and infuse them with power they never experienced in the life. Uh, the, most, the majority of them died martyrs' death. Believe me, they weren't cowards. There's a power source God's given his church. You know, sometimes I ask, are we a Holy Ghost church? Is the Spirit of God doing the energizing? I see some people as busy as a termite and just as destructive. They do little in the power of God. They're just, they're just nervous wrecks. They've got to do something, do something, do something. That's not God. Sometimes you might say, wait, wait on me. Let me first energize you with divine power because this working off nervous energy isn't necessarily doing my work. You just need, you know, a shot of something. I don't know. Let's go on. Psalm 27.1, God is the strength of my life. Psalm 43.2, the God of my strength. First Chronicles 16, 17, seek the Lord and his strength. Psalms 28, 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. Psalms 29, 11, the Lord will give strength to his people. And then you get a verse that goes like this. Now, I'm going to give you the twisted version. I can do nothing through Christ who does not help me. Well, let's switch it. I can do some things. Did I hear you say all? Do you mean it? I can do all things through Christ who said. And that all, now none of us has flown lately. I mean, just get up and start flapping you. Don't, don't try it. The all things is all things in his will. All things he wants me to do, I can do. I've been content with little or much. I've been content being poor, being persecuted, and I've done good prospering, Paul's saying. You sent me an offering. I've done without the Corinthians offerings. I've done with the, I've gone through beatings, all that. But he said, I can do anything God wants me to do, even if it's holding on to a log in the Mediterranean for three days and three nights. I can do it if it's the will of God. Years ago, when this church was first beginning, I was living with my brother David. My mother and Carol and I were together like on a Monday, and I was always looking for church property because uh, I knew property would just go skyrocket, get, get out of control. So one day I'm going through, I'll see listings, and I call this man about a piece of property in Panola, and I said, and I'm talking there, my mom and, and hey, uh, Carolyn are listening, and all of a sudden, the guy said, and what is that property? In those days, that's about 1973. I'm broke. I, David's paying the house payment. I'm living off of him. And I love just mooching. And uh, there, 
uh, all of a sudden the guy said, well, that, that property's 11 acres, and that's $350,000. You know, and he just, and I just said, money is no object, sir. <laughs> and and my, when I got off, my mother was like laying in the floor, you know, <laughs> and, and Carolyn, money's no object. You're so broke, you couldn't rub two nickels together. I said, well, if it's God's will, money won't be the problem. It won't be the problem. By the way, we didn't buy it. That's okay. He gave us this, twice as good, five times as good. As, I mean, we prayed for years for the property across the street. Rich Rollins and I used to walk it. It's wonder we didn't get Lyme's disease. And we prayed over that, prayed over it, prayed over it. You know what? I'm just as happy. The Lord doesn't want us to have it fine. He wanted us to. We were going to build a youth center over there. David wanted to build a senior housing place. We had so many great ideas. But in the meantime, our nerves are calm. If God wants it, he'll open it. God doesn't want you to do everything. And it's serving him. What has God gifted you to do? I, I met with Howard Hendricks one time. I, I run out of goals and all like that. And having him as a prof and the guy that everybody wanted to be with. I met with him and he said, we got to talk and I said, I, I'm needing direction. I'm needing this or that. And, and because on my profile test at seminary, it said I ought to be a fireman. The other said I ought to be a preacher. And so he knew all that. So I met together with him. I said, man, I, uh, he said, Howard, what, what do you want to do? What do you want to do for the Lord? I said, man, I don't mind putting up chairs. Do whatever. If it's for Jesus, that pleases me as long as it's for him. He said, that's what's killing you. I said, what do you mean? He said, you're doing everything, and you're not focusing on the one thing God gifted you to do. You've got to build your life around your gift. A hundred men could set up chairs, but you're the only one among them that could preach. And if you men want to trade places, I'll let you on. I don't know where you'll do it, but we'll break you in. It's not easy, but I love it. God is my sufficiency, he says. He's your sufficiency. You can do everything God saved you to do, to do every good work he's already planned, but he didn't save you to do nothing. He won't energize you to do nothing, and he won't energize you to cr criticize me. He's not going to have you at the beam of seat say, why did you like Phil Howard? No, that went your reward. He's going to say, what did you let me energize you to do? I, uh, uh, this is a very personal message for me because uh, in, I was saved, and then I, I went to a youth camp in 1959 in Alliance Redwoods. I'll never forget the speakers. One was a a man named Luther Maddox from Texarkana, Arkansas. 
was an unusual preacher. He would preach, and he'd stomp his foot and grab his ear, just like let's see how he did. That was his point. You, you, he had, every point was an ear grabber. He'd do, it was, had a strange idiosyncrasy. And then they had like a little 90-pound woman named Trella Hatton. That was an incarnate tornado. <laughs> and boy, could she preach to young people. She was, she was, a, was a tornado. She was remarkable. And, and kids loved her. She preached on a Thursday night, Isaiah 6. And the close was simply, uh, has any of you kids ever said, here am I? I think I wept maybe two hours, two and a half. I couldn't talk. I read that passage on my knees for the next three months every day. And I'd simply say, here am I. I didn't know if that was going to involve, I didn't know anything about really about preaching. Preaching had to be out of the question because in my injury as a boy, that when I broke the leg here, I also broke at the hip. They set the, they put the cast here, but not the hip. So I wore out my hip socket, and I went into a form of paralysis. Nerves were being pinched. I lost hearing in the left ear. I became a lisper. I couldn't say yeses. I, I just I had speech impediment. I was in speech therapy, I think, up through the seventh grade. I'd have to be dismissed from class, and they'd have to teach me to talk. But believe me, this is not preaching material. And uh, held back in the third grade, found out I couldn't hear, I wasn't passing. So I duplicated. Tenth grade was my favorite grade. I took it five years in a row. <laughs> no, not really, but I did have to repeat third grade. And my brothers, they saw this because David Baby said, me and my brother Paul, they, they know of all the afflictions, all the doctor appointments, crippled children fund, this, that. I mean, all these childhood things. I mean, I just braces, therapy for the uh, speech, and my poor mother, seventh child, taken, uh, I mean, wow. And then I'm sitting this, here am I, is all I could say, here am I. And the next thing, people started inviting me to youth groups, and, and I couldn't preach. I'd give a testimony. I could maybe share a verse, give a devotional-like thing. And then that thing kept growing. I mean, I, and one day I, I told my brother Paul, I said, you know what? I think God's calling me to preach. And in his kind, encouraging words, he said, well, God's really got a big job on his hands. <laughs> and he's right back there. You could talk to him. I thought, thank you for that encouraging word, Brother Paul. <laughs> but, I mean, come on, you got a mess on your hands. This boy can't hardly say yes. <laughs> then, some way, I was challenged by a youth evangelist, and I, made, I got a key from a pastor. I started praying every day at their church before I started classes at Helms, ninth grade. And I did it through high school every day. Little Pentecostal church in San Pablo. I prayed there in the morning, and I prayed there on the way home. 
And I thought, well, I don't know how to preach, but I want to learn how to pray. Henry Jowett said he'd rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. If you can learn to pray, you can learn to do all the rest. Well, uh, I know this. I've been preaching for 60 years now. Whatever. 60 years. Because God loves to take inadequate people and supply the power that makes them sufficient. So they don't brag on themselves. I'm clever. I'm brilliant. I'm gifted. I, I, I. You can just say, I, I love what Paul said. I was the worst of the apostles. And he actually used the word, I was born out of due season. And the word meant an abortion. I was an aborted apostle. The word out of due season was used of the word abortion. I'm like an aborted fetus among the apostles. But I am what I am by the grace of God. And his grace towards me proved not to be insufficient. I'd say, dear children of God, we've got all the power it took to hold the universe in place. And God wants to simply infuse it in you. He will energize you to be willing and doing of his good pleasure. And what songs, young people in our whole church, we grew up with simple those. We sing this song. Get, get how profound musically it is. This is profound. Are you ready? I'll say yes. 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 I'll say yes. 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 I'll say yes, Lord. I'll say yes, Lord. I'll say yes. 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 Quit saying no. Start saying yes. I'd write down one we used to sing, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me. I'll do anything. Have you ever said that? Well, do you dare risk your life? To put it in the hands of a nail-pierced Savior, would you dare make yourself available? Let me tell you about the church. We're always looking for elders. We're always looking for deacons. We're always looking for men. Let me tell you the biggest problem. It's not just men of ability. It's men of availability. Nobody seems to be very available. That's why most churches are run by women. They're available. They're available while the men aren't. I'm too busy making money, too busy doing this, too busy doing that. Oh, I know, you're going to fall in your grave, and we hope we can put a U-Haul in there to take all the toys with you. When will you become available? I told this man right down here, he would come into our elders' meetings drenched, I remember, many a night, because he would ride the bus over to San Fran, get in late, barely come into the meeting, and I remember those nights when he was drenched when we had evening meetings. And one day I told him, I said, how long will PG&E own you, Timothy? You're an intelligent, gifted man. You're Timothy, if I ever seen one. You've got so much timidity and fear about doing. 
but you're a gifted man. And thank God he came and worked. He's remained an elder, gave what was left. I just say it's one thing to make a living, but the company ought not to own you. They didn't purchase you. They won't be with you in heaven. And your kids won't be impressed that you worked overtime. They'll be impressed with what you love the most. Is it the money or the Savior? Make yourself available, and God will give you the ability. Father, Father, we love you. We thank you that ministry is being done through inadequate people who have found their empowerment from you, our God, our God. Thank you, Lord. You're not a gambler, so it wasn't a risk, but it seemed like you took a risk on me. I don't see what you saw to spend so much energy and time getting me to this place. You're the sufficient one. That's all I want to promote, the sufficiency of God, and he pours it in insufficient people, inadequate people, incompetent people in our own strength. You are our sufficiency, so our confidence is in you. We bless your wonderful name forever and ever. Amen. Tell somebody to leave. I can through Christ. I can through Christ. I want you to do that. I can. Quit saying I can't. Say I can through Christ.